welcome to the first episode of X-Men Unraveled. My name is Noelle. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited to get this started today. So this episode is going to be a little different than any of the episodes going forward. I'm not going to dive straight into the comics because I thought it would be useful to start out by laying some groundwork about the X-Men before diving into the stories and all of that. So some of this might be a refresher if you've been an X-Men fan for a long time, but I also want to make sure that this podcast is approachable to anyone, even someone who doesn't really know much about the X-Men. Maybe you've just seen the movies or you were a fan when you were a kid and kind of forgot about it over the years, whatever the case may be. I just don't want anyone to think that you need to have some extensive X-Men knowledge to listen to this podcast in the first place. Like I said in my intro, I am not an expert myself. And honestly, the more I did the reading and research for this episode, the more I felt like I didn't know anything at all. But that is what this podcast is for. It's to learn. And I did make sure, um, for those of you who are familiar with the X-Men, that I did a decent amount of homework for this episode, so I think there will be some interesting information for you, too. And in this episode especially, I used a lot of different um, references from articles, wiki posts, so if you are interested in anything that I mention and want to read more, the show notes are up on my blog at xmenunraveled.wordpress.com, and you can find all the links to everything I used today posted there. So to start, what is an X-Man in the first place? Or like Wolverine asked in the first movie, what's a Magneto? The short answer is that the X-Men are a group of Marvel heroes created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. They are mutants who each have their own unique powers. One thing to note is that all X-Men are mutants, but not all mutants are X-Men. The heroes have mutant nemeses that they face off against, and there's other mutants living throughout the world who aren't affiliated with the crime-fighting team. They're not fighting against them. They're just trying to live their lives. To answer that second question, a Magneto is a powerful mutant with the ability to control magnetic fields, and he's usually fighting against the X-Men. He was flawlessly, in my opinion, played by Michael Fassbender and Ian McKellen in the movies, and I think he's one of the best parts of the series. Um, He's also got a really intriguing backstory that I can't wait to get to in the comics, but that's getting ahead of myself. So, we know the X-Men are mutants, but what the heck is a mutant? To answer that question, we have to start with a little bit of biology. I'm not a scientist. Uh, The last class I even took in science was Bio 101 at least eight years ago. So let's stress that this is very basic biology. But just so you know, I did have my science friend check my work, so at least I know what I'm saying is accurate. (laughs) So a mutation is a change in the genetic sequence of an organism. They are not inherently good or bad, and most of the time, they don't have any effect at all. You can have mutations and just be totally unaware of it. But the ones you might be most likely to hear about are probably things like color blindness, cystic fibrosis, and sickle cell anemia, which are all the result of a change in the genetic sequence. Mutations can also affect appearance. Heterochromia, for example, is when a person has uh, two different colored eyes 
or one eye has more than one color in it. Um, I don't know. You see that in a lot of um, dog breeds, like certain kinds have it more often, I think. I could be making that up. No one checked that work. Um, but, you know, one eye will be brown, one will be blue, or one eye has like a little patch of blue in it. So that's heterochromia. It's the result of a genetic mutation. And if you saw X-Men First Class, you might remember where Xavier is trying to hit on a girl at a bar with this fun fact. Um, because he's a nerd, I guess. <laughs> I'm not judging. Um, that's probably something I would do. Uh, but I'm a nerd, so, you know. I don't take it back. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting off track. So we know that a mutant is someone with a mutation, but obviously we're not just talking about two different colored eyes. And in the X-Men universe, the individuals referred to as mutants have a very specific mutation. According to the comics, mutants possess an activated X gene on the 23rd pair of chromosomes. That X gene is what gives rise to their powers because it leads to a series of changes in the body that give rise to those powers and or changes in appearance. Mutant powers usually show up uh, around puberty, which I would guess is due to the fact that the 23rd pair of chromosomes are the sex chromosomes. So a lot of their role obviously comes in at that time. It is possible, though, for powers to manifest sooner Usually that happens due to some significant environmental influence, especially uh, trauma or stress. Powers can also emerge early naturally, but that's a lot more rare. Usually it happens around puberty, and honestly, that's just got to be rough. I mean, just thinking back for a second, uh, that's a difficult time as it is, physically, socially, uh, now Imagine going through it and suddenly wings start growing out of your shoulder blades or you can hear other people's thoughts. That just sounds like a nightmare, honestly. <laughs> um, the X gene is also the inspiration behind the name of the X-Men, which some of you might know, but I had always assumed it was um, because of Professor Xavier's name, but it is because of the X gene. To go a little further and uh, down this rabbit hole, I guess... I wanted to tell you about where the X gene itself came from, because it wasn't just a natural mutation in humans. It was the result of genetic modifications on very early humans by a race of ancient powerful beings known as the Celestials. And I can't get into the Celestials here a whole lot because their history is just a little bit much uh, but just know that they are cosmic beings that have existed since the earliest times in the universe, and they're extremely powerful. If you saw Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Kurt Russell's character, Star-Lord's dad, he was a celestial. They're also supposed to be part of the Eternals movie. I read that um, they're supposed to be part of that somehow, so whenever that comes out, hopefully they'll have an easy way to explain them, because I kind of started reading and was like... This is getting a little over my head, uh, and it would probably take up a whole episode on its own anyway. But I did just want to mention them, that the Celestials are the ones responsible for the introduction of the X gene into the human genome. So that is where mutants come from. Mutants um, are usually referred to, well, not usually, they were usually referred to as mutants, but they're also called Homo sapiens superior, or often just as homo superior because they are seen to be the next evolutionary step from regular humans. 
They began to appear sporadically millennia ago after that celestial alteration of the genome. But beginning in the 20th century, their appearance and number increased significantly. For reference, the oldest mutant with a concrete date attached to their birth is named Selene, and she's a mere 17,000 years old. Obviously, one of her powers is immortality. There are other mutants along with Selene who are almost as old or also thousands of years old. She is actually part of a group who are known as the Externals, not the Eternals, the Externals, who are immortal and they've been around for ages. As far as why more mutants began to be born in the 20th century, I found an article that explained that this is just a result of the exponential increase in the world's population of humans and therefore mutants, because mutants have always been around, but only as a small percentage of the total population. So as the population grows, more mutants are born, but according to the article, the percentage always stays the same. Now, what kind of powers does this X gene give rise to? The short answer is a lot. <laughs> there are telepaths and telekinetics. Many of them have superhuman strength or speed. Others can fly, shapeshift, or teleport. Some of them can change the makeup of their body, and so they can do things like turn their skin into diamond or metal or walk through walls. And then there's others who can control natural forces like magnetic fields and the weather. And that's just a few of the type of powers that they have. Many mutants also have a distinct appearance. For example, Mystique has blue skin, orange hair, and yellow eyes. When he came up with the X-Men, Stan Lee wanted to create this array of unique heroes, but he didn't want to have to make up a backstory for each one to explain how they all got their distinct and varying powers. Think Peter Parker's Spider-Bite story. So, in an interview, he explained, I took the cowardly way out. I said to myself, why don't I just say they're mutants? They were born that way. And that's not the word I would have used to describe that decision. Uh, seems like a pretty creative way to get around the problem to me. And actually, it's something that I think makes the X-Men so interesting and relatable, because the experience of mutants has been used as a metaphor for things like civil rights and gay rights. So Stan Lee's decision ends up being a huge part of why I think that they matter culturally. But it's a fun thing to know about their creation, and I did not know that before I started working on this episode. So the X-Men team hasn't been static over time. Through the decades, the team members and villains have changed, sometimes swapped places, and they've been in a lot of different comic series. For the sake of simplicity, I'm just going to give a quick, quick overview of about the first 30 years of the comics today. Um, beyond that would probably just be confusing at this point. So the original series called The X-Men was released in 1963. If you go looking for it on Marvel Unlimited, it's now included under the title Uncanny X-Men, and usually that's how it gets referred to. But the series was the introduction of the first team. It consisted of Professor Xavier as the leader and teacher, Cyclops Jean Grey, also called Marvel Girl, Angel, Beast, and Iceman. All of them except Professor X were teenagers. And just to note real quick, as I start listing off names, most of them... Most of the mutants that come up in this episode are main characters, but if you don't know all of them, don't worry about it. Uh, we'll get to them when they come up in the comics, so 
you don't have to know everybody, but I am going to list off some just to kind of make some uh, bullet points, I guess, in the timeline. So that original team remained the focus of the comics from 1963 to 1970, with the later edition of the mutants Havoc and Polaris in later years. The series went on for a total of 66 issues, but due to a decline in popularity, only reprints were released from 1970 to 1975. But thankfully, that was not the end for the X-Men. In 1975, the series was revitalized with the publication of Giant Size X-Men, which introduced a new team with only Cyclops returning from the original group. Along with him, this team consisted of Sunfire, Banshee, Wolverine, Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Thunderbird. As you might be able to tell from the recognizable names on this team, this reboot boosted the X-Men's popularity significantly. Storm and Wolverine in particular have been very well-loved characters, and they've been part of the movies, the animated series, numerous later comic series, including their own. Nightcrawler and Colossus have also had their own movie appearances and become staples of the X-Men team. So this reimagining of the X-Men was a huge success, and it really set the mutants on track to become the recognizable franchise that they are today. Then, in 1977, the famous Phoenix Saga began, and this is one of the most important and popular stories of the X-Men lore, even though they cannot get it right for a movie. They basically made the same one twice, but... Uh, anyway, it has ongoing repercussions throughout the X-Men universe, and I cannot wait to get there on the podcast. I have actually read a little bit of that one, but I don't think I finished it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I cannot wait to get to Phoenix. <laughs> During the 80s, the number of mutants making appearances in the pages of the comics increased dramatically. Popular mutants like Rogue, Kitty Pride, and Psylocke were introduced, along with many others. There were also several spin-off series thanks to their continuing popularity. These included, to name a few, X-Factor, Wolverine, and The New Mutants, which that movie just came out, but I haven't seen it yet. I need to watch it. Um, yeah, so they, they just took off and continued growing in popularity. The 90s followed with two main series, X-Men with Cyclops as the lead and Uncanny X-Men fronted by Storm. In addition, the popular animated series ran from 1992 to 1997, and everybody might know this by now, but it is up on Disney Plus these days if you want a little hit of nostalgia. I've been rewatching it. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's also been fun to realize how much I remember. I'm like, oh my god, that scene. I remember seeing this. So that's up. Obviously, it's something that I love. <laughs> and the X-Men franchise has continued introducing characters, storylines, and teams. To go through it all would be a lot and probably more confusing than helpful. And honestly, I don't even know it. That's kind of why I'm doing this podcast. <laughs> because the point is to get there to learn all of the stories and history. So we'll get there. It'll be fun. And I will learn more about it as we go. So for now, that's just a very quick overview of the first 30 years of comics. If you want more details now, like you can't wait, I recommend checking out the very in-depth X-Men primer on uncannyxmen.net, and that gets into the details of each era of the comics, and the direct link to that is on my blog. 
So now that you have the basics of X-Men publications, I thought it would be useful to go over the different levels of mutants. Because mutants are a diverse bunch. They each have their own powers and strengths that are as unique as their personalities. And so, you know, it kind of doesn't make sense to try and get into all of them now because we're going to get into their stories later. But one way to classify them is by the extent of their powers. But I learned as I started looking this up, there's not a set in stone classification guide. And mutants' powers also change over time. Uh, So a character gets introduced, they grow stronger, they learn how to control their powers. Sometimes they get new powers altogether. So at their introduction, they might be at one level and then move to another depending on the progression of their story and their powers. So that means there's not necessarily an official classification guide. And every list that I found was a little bit different. They use different names, they assign mutants to levels differently, and then they have some different criteria for each level. But I settled on one, and that came from gamesradar.com. And I said settled, but I picked this one because I thought it was the most helpful. It seemed pretty straightforward, and it accounts for a lot of the variations that exist between the different types of mutants and their abilities. So, of course, the link to that will be on the blog, um, as well as the other guides, if, you know, maybe you like one of the other ones better. With all those caveats, let's get into the levels. Epsilon mutants are at the bottom of the list. I kind of think of them as what you would call someone, uh, or what you would think of if you called someone a mutant in real life. Like, I don't know, they had some exposure to some chemical or radiation or something. Because Epsilon-level mutants have odd appearances that make it very hard for them to live in regular society, and their powers, if they have any, are usually pretty minimal. Other lists use the term dregs, which just seem kind of mean. I mean, these guys have it hard enough as it is, so I don't want to call them dregs. They're the Epsilon level. (laughs) Uh, One group that you might know of that fits in this category are the Morlocks. They are mutants who live in sewers to escape the hate and fear they receive from humans due to their appearance, which makes them stand out. And I mean, they're not like beautiful. They, you know, they stand out in a bad way. (laughs) So life as an Epsilon mutant is not easy. The next group is the Delta mutants. These individuals can pass as humans, but they have fairly low level powers. Probably most of these would be uh, individuals living and passing as human because their appearance doesn't give them away and their powers aren't destructive or attention-grabbing. One mutant you might remember from Deadpool 2 who fits in this category is Domino. She's able to shift probability in her favor. Not the most noticeable power, but the movie shows that it could be pretty useful. Next we have the Gamma Mutants. These mutants do have useful powers, but their appearance is drastically different from an average human, which means they can't blend in. Think Mystique, Nightcrawler, or Beast. And so they've all got pretty good powers, which sets them apart from the Epsilon class, but they they still don't fit in in human society. This was a major part of Mystique and Beast's stories in the movie X-Men First Class, because they're so different, they just feel so separate from the rest of society. One important thing to note is that many other Marvel heroes are referred to as Gamma Mutates. So we're talking about Gamma Mutants, and then there's this whole other class called Gamma Mutates. 
These individuals have undergone power-inducing changes from exposure to gamma radiation. These individuals do not have the activated X gene, so they're not mutants in the sense that is meant in referring to the X-Men. The Hulk is an example of a gamma mutate, having only gained his powers after his exposure to gamma radiation. So, just a quick side note, if you hear that, they're not mutants like the X-Men. Then we move on to the beta mutants. What sets them apart is that they either have powers that they can't totally control, or they have some distinctive physical feature that makes them stand out, but not as dramatically as those in the gamma category. They can be powerful mutants, but their lack of complete control puts them in this category. Wolverine would actually fall into this category because he doesn't control his powers. He just heals on his, automatically. And his anatomy is different from a normal human because of his claws, um, but it's not so much that it stands out until he actually uses his claws. Rogue was actually originally in this category because she looks completely human, but she couldn't control her power, and so she couldn't touch another person without harming them. Her powers, as time has gone on, have evolved since her introduction, so she actually doesn't fit here anymore. But at her introduction, when she couldn't control it, she did fit in this category. From there, we move on to the Alpha Mutants, and they are the second strongest class. They're exceptionally powerful, skilled in combat, and they don't have those mutant-esque features that mark them out. They also have complete control over their abilities. Cyclops and Professor X have both been said to be alpha-level mutants. Finally, we have the Omegas. These are the heavy hitters whose powers have, according to the article, no, quote, definable upper limit. So their only real limitation is their own ability to control their powers. And they are immensely powerful, and if they're on the wrong side pretty dangerous. Omega levels include Jean Grey and Magneto. Omega mutants are the ones that are especially worrying to humans who fear what mutants might be able to do in the world. Because of this fear, many mutants, such as Magneto, believe that it is impossible for humans and mutants to coexist. Humans, of course, have never really helped the situation. At various times, they have sought to control and or persecute mutants out of their fear. As a result, there is an ongoing struggle for power between humans and mutants. The X-Men, led by Professor Xavier, reject these views of the world, and one of their main goals is to establish peace between mutants and humans. And that is my quick intro to the X-Men, the characters, and publication history. There is plenty more to get into, but I think the rest can be discussed best as we go through the comics. My next episode will be about the origins of the ancient mutant known as Apocalypse. I will be reading The Rise of Apocalypse numbers 1 through 4 for that episode, and I'm going to do a rewatch of X-Men Apocalypse, so check those out if you're interested in reading and watching along with the pod. And I hope you join me for that episode. It's an interesting uh, comic series, and I'm excited to finally get into the comics. Don't forget, you can check out my Instagram for updates and find links to articles, pictures, transcripts, and more on my blog at xmenunravel.wordpress.com. Also, if you have questions or I don't explain something very well, let me know on Instagram or Twitter um, at xmenunraveled 
or you can email xmenunraveled at gmail.com and I will see if I can clarify or find some answers for you. Thank you for listening and I will see you next time. Bye. Bye.